Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. Awesome. Uh, so here we are, week three of Romans. And if you've been with us from the beginning, things are starting to turn a little bit. Things are more positive than they were for the first two weeks. So quick recap to bring you up to speed to where we are. This week, we're in Romans chapter five. So for the first two weeks, what did we talk about? We talked about how awful we are. Isn't that great? Just the most encouraging word that we are just terrible, terrible human beings. We're all failures, that none of us are righteous, no, not one. And so Paul spends the first two chapters of this book explaining and showing how we are, in fact, all sinners. There's no person on this earth that is righteous. There's no person on earth that is, is, is good and that all of us are, in fact, sinners. And so he even says that in chapter one, he, he ends by saying, man, not only are they these crazy sinners, but they invent new ways of sinning. And then it says, uh, not only do they do these things, but they approve of those who do them. He's saying, the world is wicked. It's awful. It's terrible. And then he says in the second chapter, because you have the Roman church, so you have the Gentiles and you have the the Jews. So the Gentiles are the non-Jews within this Christian faith here in this church. And so he then says, you know, the Jews are reading this and they're like, yeah, we're righteous. We're good people and all this stuff. And so then Paul is like, not so fast, uh, you know, Jewish people, this is not how it works. And he says, you know, no, you are just as guilty because the very things you are judging them for doing, you also do, but you just kind of do it in secrecy. So you're not being seen by others, but you're judging them. And he says, and you have what is called the law. So you have the Hebrew law. So you have this thing that is showing you how to live a righteous life. And even with that, you can't do it. He's saying you are just as guilty, if not more guilty, because you've been shown the way to live a righteous life. And he says, so all of us are sinners. Every single person. There's no, there's no, you know, get out of jail free card here, right? There's nobody getting a pass through all of this. The fact of the matter is we are all sinners. And then he tells us in Romans 3.23, he says, for all have sinned, right? He's establishing this and fallen short of the glory of God. We all fall short of the glory of God. What does he mean by that? He means this, that God is righteous, And that our sin cannot be in the presence of God's righteousness. So this is where we end up. We stop all the time. We hear that verse for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And we put a period there and we end it. And that's the end of that statement. And we leave it. But the reality is there's a comma. And we talked about that last week. And it says, but, and that's a significant part. All are freely justified by grace that comes from our Lord Jesus Christ. That's significant. All of a sudden, now there's this game changer. We went from, we're wretched, horrible sinners. No one is righteous. No, not one. And that is the reality that we take on and we realize, okay, so we're sinners. And so, so then he says, but, but, oh, but just wait. Jesus died for us and paid the penalty for our sin and that through our faith in Christ, we are made righteous not through our works. And he says, it's not, not through our own ability so that no man can boast. He says, even Abraham, so going back to the father of the Israelite people, the father of the Jewish people, he says, even Abraham wasn't considered righteous because of what he did. He was considered righteous because of his faith. 
in recognizing that even this great patriarch of the Jewish family was not righteous because he kept the law. In fact, there was no law for him to keep. The law came later. And he says, no, he was made righteous by his faith. And he says, and in the same way, this is a big recap. So in the same way, those of us who live in faith are made righteous and we are the true children of Abraham and we are the children of God, making us sons and daughters of the Lord. That is the shortest synopsis I can give. And there's so much more that I want to jump into with that, but we can't because we have to keep on moving today with the rest of our text. And so the reality is that here we have, we have sin and it's a problem. God is here and he's righteous and we cannot coexist because of our unrighteousness. Jesus dies and he doesn't build a bridge to make connection. No, he takes away the chasm and brings the two together through the blood and the grace that is given to us through faith which brings us to the point to where we are today as we, as we gear up for chapter five. And so what we want to talk about today is what does all of this mean for us moving forward? And so chapter five is a pivotal chapter in the book of Romans. There's so much in chapter five that, that, that carries on and weighs through the rest of the book of Romans. And so we're going to jump then into Romans five, verse one as I scroll past everything that I just said because I was out there and not back here. We're going to start in verse one and we're going to read the first 11 verses and we're going to walk through those. This week, uh, because of the fact that we don't have a whole huge massive amount to cover, we're going to go more exegetical. So we're going to walk more verse by verse by verse by verse by verse by verse and just kind of build on it for the most part today. There will be a few portions where we take more uh, portions of scripture and and talk through the themes and that. But uh, let's pray before we read. Father, we love you. And we thank you, God, for the opportunity to share your word today. We thank you for the chance to learn from your word and to be inspired and encouraged by your word. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy and for your forgiveness. And that as we put our faith in you, God, you save us. So Lord, today, as we walk through this chapter, we pray, Lord, for your anointing on my lips and for our ears and our hearts to be open to receive from you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's read these first 11 verses, and I'm going to read them fairly quickly because we will reiterate and highlight them as we go, okay? So it says this, therefore, now you always need to know, therefore, in any time you see, it is speaking back to what has just happened, okay? So he is still continuing, again, just understanding when the Bible was written, we did not have numbers in the Bible. There was no paragraphs, there was no verses. We added those for reference later, okay? So Paul is just in this continuous thought. So when he says, therefore, and it's leaning coming back from where we were last week, and we'll we'll, we'll tie all this together. So therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Last week, we didn't boast. This week, we have something to boast in, okay? Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when you were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Verse eight. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So the first thing this morning is this, as we talk through all of this, the first thing in your notes is this, the blessings of our justification. The blessings of our justification. Paul just gave us this huge uh, kind of picture of this is a, a glimpse of what happens through our justification. This is a glimpse of what we now get to stand in and be part of because we have been justified by our faith in Jesus Christ and the work that he did. And so here, here let's look at the very first thing is, is this, is peace with God. Peace with God. Romans 5.1 tells us that, that since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord. As we read through scripture, we see that the unsafe person is essentially the enemy of God, right? It's at, 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 at enmity, I can say this, with God. Because he cannot obey God's law or fulfill God's law. Two verses from Isaiah make this matter clear to us. So in, in Isaiah 48, 22, it says, There is no peace, says the Lord, unto the wicked. And then also in Isaiah 32, 17, it says, And the work of righteousness shall be peace. So he's saying the wicked, no, they don't know this peace and, and, and those that are righteous, no peace. What is he talking about? We're not talking about peace of God or peace from God. And so, so Paul does talk about that. And he says, peace that passes all understanding, right? That's, that's in another writing. Uh, and, and so he's saying, listen, this is not what I'm dealing with. I'm dealing with relational matters between us and God. This is peace with God. So he's saying that this is, when, when we are justified, we now have the ability to stand without fear or worry because we are at peace with God. So essentially by, by deeming us sinners, right, and which, which we are, but by deeming us sinners, we, we basically ha- have kind of like this declaration of war between us and the Lord. He's like, he's saying, you know, you cannot, you cannot exist because the wrath of God, and we talked about this back in Romans chapter one and chapter two. He says that you are uh, in your unrighteousness, you open yourself to the wrath of God and there will be the day of judgment. And that's a whole other message that we've, we've kind of done. But, and then in the second verse, he says, and talking to the Jews, he's like, you are storing up wrath for yourself. He said, until you turn, you, you turn to the Lord and you put your faith in him, all of a sudden you are now at peace with God. So all of a sudden you went from this declaration of war, essentially, to a peace treaty in a sense, to say that now you are at peace with God. And God says, now my grace covers. You stand in grace. Your sins are covered. You stand in grace. Psalm 85.10 says, mercy and truth are met together righteousness and peace have kissed each other. The law brings wrath. Nobody condemned by the law can enjoy peace with God, but when you are justified by faith, you are declared righteous and the law cannot condemn you or declare war any longer. This law that we have and we see, now there's more to the, and we'll talk more about the law as we continue through Romans, but, but the reality is, is the law was given so that we could see just how unrighteous we are. He's like, you can't keep this, I promise, good luck. It's like, man, you're right, I like lobster. 
in the Jewish law, you can't eat shellfish. So, exercising my freedom in Christ. You're at peace with God. The second thing is this. We have access to God. Access to God. And verse 2 says, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. The word access here means entrance to the king through the favor of another. Entrance to the king through the favor of another. We have access. In the Old Testament, the, the... in the Jewish culture, they did not have access into the presence of the Lord. They didn't have access into what's called the most holy place or the holy of holies. There was this veil, which is a super thick curtain that basically kept others from being able to go. Only the high priest could go. And then there was this whole process of being ceremonially clean and the sins had to be, you know, it was, just, it was crazy. And he had to wear bells. I'm not making any of this up. He had to wear bells around the, the bottom of, of his, his attire so that if he died and the bell stopped ringing, they would know like, oh, we got to pull this guy out. Like, because he had sin, he went into the presence of the Lord and boom, couldn't coexist. And so the wages of sin is death, which we find in Romans chapter six. So that's next week. Isn't that encouraging? It really is. Wait, next week is actually really awesome. So it's just good. Anyways, but, but we, we see this. So, so then they, they didn't have access to, to the most holy place. In fact, it gets even crazier than that. Gentiles, there was a wall up that said that if the Gentiles were to go past even this wall outside of the temple, they could be killed on the spot. So it was like, uh, that's a little bit harsh. Obviously, we understand the differences now. That, but, but the reality is, is that they could not have access to the Father. But through Jesus, when we see on, when Jesus died on the cross, this, we, we read all of this about how the veil was torn. It was ripped. I mean, that's crazy because this thing is not little. I mean, we're talking a foot thick kind of curtain thing here. And when Jesus dies on the cross and in, in, in Luke 23, 45, we see he, he, the veil is torn. And then also we read in Ephesians that the wall broke down. So what does this show all of us? It shows us this, that now through the work of Jesus on the cross, through our faith, we have now gained access to God the Father. Something that we did not have prior to the moment when Jesus died for our sins. So by putting our faith in him, it's like all of a sudden the doorway is wide open. That's why when we come, we can worship and we can have that, that, that moment where we go, man, I feel the presence of God. Let me, let me stop for just a moment. This is in my notes. Exercise your right to be in the presence of the Lord. It is now given to you. So don't hold back or, with, or push back from a moment in which you can encounter the Most High God. The veil is torn for us to experience and enjoy the presence of God. Don't deny yourself your right, the access to God. It is given through your faith in the Lord, through salvation, through the work that was done. So enjoy the right to be in the presence of God. The next thing, this is the second half of verse two, is glorious hope. He says, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So last week, we talked about how how, how we couldn't boast because it's not on our works. It's not our own abilities. He said, even Abraham couldn't boast. And if he could, he couldn't boast before God because even then he didn't. So we have this whole deal of saying, you have to understand it's not by your works. It's not by what you do, because if it's about you, then you have the ability to boast. And then your pride is there. It just depletes everything, right? He said, you cannot boast. So then we fast forward to today and all of a sudden he's like, here's what you can boast in. 
If you want to boast in something, boast in the hope of the glory of God. This is what you can celebrate. This is what you can stand on. This is what you can get excited about and be like, it's not me. It's not, it's the glory of God. It's, it's my hope in the glory of God. And now you have to understand that when Paul uses the word hope, he doesn't use it with the understanding that we have oftentimes in our use of the word hope. A lot of times when we use hope, we, we kind of think of it in the sense of, of maybe doubt. Like there's, there's doubt connected to our word hope because it's a it's sense of saying, I hope this happens. You know, and we've, we've said the phrase all the time, like uh, expecting the worst, hoping for the best, right? That is how we often think of hope. That's not what Paul's doing here. When Paul's using the word hope, it is this as guaranteed and as solidified as possible. And he's saying, it's not just that, you know, oh, well, we hope in the glory of God that maybe this, no, no, no. He's saying like our hope is placed there. And because we know it's rock solid, it's firm, it's not shaking, it's not moving. So we boast in our hope in the glory of God. We are proud of where we have placed our hope because we know it will not fail us. So we boast in the hope of the glory. And the word boast, um, if you're new here, I love language and I love the original words and I love our understanding of, of the language. So it, it just helps me. And hopefully it's not a waste of my time, but if anything, I learned from it. So you then get to hear it from there. So the word boast actually can be translated to rejoice or exalt, which actually would then mean to leap for joy. So it's not just a, yeah, I'm proud of this. This is great. No, it's like, overjoyed rejoicing to the point of, do you know how great my God is? And it just overwhelms you and just burns in you. And you just get so excited that you almost look like an idiot because you're screaming and you're like, man, God is so good. And people are like, that's great. No, but you don't get it. He's so good. I'm boasting in my hope that is in the glory of God because that's where it's at. So Jesus is our glorious hope. Jesus is our glorious hope. The, th- the next thing is this Christian character. Verse three, it says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. That's verses three and four. Justification is no escape from the trials of life. So if your hope in finding Jesus was that all of a sudden your world was just going to be, you know, rainbows and butterflies, sorry, that's not reality. That's not biblical. Uh, that's, not, that's not even close to what is promised or given to us. And the reality is Paul and James talk about how, how what we walk through and the struggles we face are a part of becoming the men and women of God that we are called to be. It's no escape from the trials of life. (laughs) Jesus himself says, in this world, you will have troubles. And you're like, thanks. It's really great. But he says, take heart. I've overcome the world. But for the believer, trials work for him and not against him. Because it goes back to where our hope is. It's in the glory of God. No amount of suffering and we'll read this in Romans 8, can separate us from the Lord. You may have the most difficult trials and hardship 
of your life and you feel like there's no hope, there's no end to this, I'm there forever. And the encouragement is that, guess what? The Lord has not left you. Instead, trials bring us closer to the Lord and make us more like the Lord. Suffering builds Christian character. Uh, the word character in Romans is, is character that has been approved. It's been tested. It's been tried. It's been proven, right? How I many you know those people that you go, you know what? They just keep on going. No matter what they face, no matter what they're up against, they get back up the next day and say, you know what? Today's going to be a great day. You're like, how can you say that? The last 48 days in a row have been a terrible, terrible mess of a world you live in. You go, but yeah, but I know that my God is still good and that my God is still on the throne and that my God still loves me and that I'm still secure in my salvation in the Lord and that, you know what I mean? And you just go, wow, your character is proven. You've, you've persevered, you've pressed through. So we see the sequence is suffering perseverance, which is patient, enduring, or steadfastness. You know those people that are just steadfast. Nothing's going to phase them. Nothing's going to phase them. And improving character leads to our hope. James agrees with Paul in James 1, 2, and 4. He says, consider it pure joy. I love James also. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, which sounds so backwards, Get excited when your life is terrible. Thanks, man. Like sometimes you go to the word and you're like, man, I need a good encouraging word today. And James is like, I'm sorry, you're not getting it here. Um, (laughs) He says this because you know that you're testing, that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So we see in scripture, we even see in this moment that Paul is even saying like, hey, one of the great things you receive uh, through your salvation is your hope in the glory of God, right? And how do you, how do we work through that? How does this work for you? It's because you know that you're just going to get better and better and be more equipped and, and not lacking anything, having all that you need to continue to face trial after trial after trial, because you can walk in the steadfastness of the grace of God. We're going to talk about standing in grace in a moment, but but understanding that it is this continual work. I came across this this week and I wanted to share this. Our English word for tribulation uh, comes from a Latin word, uh, tribulum. Tribulum. In Paul's day, a tribulum was a heavy piece of timber with spikes in it used for threshing the grain. The tribulum was drawn over the grain and it separated the wheat from the chaff. So as we go through tribulations and depend on God's grace, the trials only purify us and help to get rid of the chaff. I thought that was just such a cool imagery and the thoughts that, man, you feel like you're just being beat down by this press that is trying to separate and pull things out. And it's the sense that Paul is saying, hey, you're going to face trials and tribulations. You're going to be pulled through and all of a sudden you're just going to find the wheat separated from the chaff, the good and the pure separated from all the other stuff that's in your life that, that the Lord is just trying to clean out. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean it's, it's enjoyable all the time. There are moments when it is and yet through all of that we just get to feel the grace and the love of the Father. And the next thing is this. We receive God's love within. Verse five through eight. 
And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. So this is Paul saying, I mean, using righteous and good person in, in, the, same, in the same context, right? In the same kind of vein. He's like, very rarely is somebody going to die for righteousness. He's like, but I mean, for a good person, someone may in fact give their life. He's like, it could happen. It's not out of the realm of possibility. And then he says this, verse eight, one of my favorite verses in all of scripture, God doesn't play favorites, I do. He says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's almost a drop the mic moment and just say, now just, let's just worship the Lord and say thank you. Proverbs thirteen twelve says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But as we wait for this hope to be fulfilled, because this is the hope of what is to come still in, in, in the, the capturing up and in in, in all this stuff. So he says this, as we wait for this hope to be fulfilled, the love of God is poured out into our hearts. That, that would be like the literal translation. Notice what's happening in the process. So I, I want us to be aware of this. The Holy Spirit is at work in us. This is now the third, of the fruit, third fruit of the Spirit that has been stated through this. We had love in, in verse five here. Uh, joy, we rejoice in, in, in five two, and then peace in five one. Before we were saved, God proved his love by sending Christ to die for us when we were still in our sin. But recognize the work of the Spirit through all of that. That we're seeing the fruit of the Spirit even being manifested through the work of salvation. And that the Holy Spirit is woven through all of this. And we, we've talked all about the Holy Spirit back in October about how when we received Christ, when we received Christ, there is this infilling that comes and the spirit begins to work in us and he begins to uh, cause things to shift and change and he begins to allow uh, peace to find its place in us. He begins to allow, allow hope and joy to find a place in us, right? And all of a sudden we find ourselves t- connected to and tied to the father through the working of the spirit within the soul and the heart of the person. We see faith, hope, and love. And they all combine to give the believer patience in the trials of life. I want you to notice how all of this works together. And it's not just individual statements, but that Paul is working to show the blessings of our justification in this moment. He's saying, listen, understand how all of this is tied together and connected within your justification, within your salvation, as you place your faith in the Lord. There is a shift and a change that begins to stir within your heart, within the believer. And it's all the work of the Spirit as he begins to transform us. We say this a lot at at Grace Hill but we exist as a place to belong, to become like Christ, to be light to the world around us, all for the sake of changed lives. And that only happens through the work of the Spirit. The next thing is this, salvation from future wrath. We don't like the word wrath in, in our day and age, especially when we talk about the Lord. 
the idea of speaking about God in conjunction with wrath is almost taboo in our culture, right? Uh, people want to say and make statements that, well, God is love. And yes, God is love, but they want to neglect the fact that, that there is, in fact, wrath. And Paul writes very clearly in the book of Romans that there is, in fact, wrath for the unrighteous, for those that are apart from the Lord, who those who don't put their faith in the Lord. And, and we talked about uh, in the first couple of weeks just that how, how, how one day we'll have to stand before the Lord and make an account for all that we've done. Everything is being recorded. And, and, it's, and I don't know that he's like videoing us or whatever, but it's being written down. There's a record, so to speak, of what's happening. And if we stand before the Lord apart from Christ, that is our truth. But if we stand before the Lord with Christ, our truth changes and all of a sudden, everything we've ever done is now covered then by the grace of the Lord. And he says, this is now your new reality. This is your new truth. And so, so apart from Christ, there is wrath. And so we don't want to talk about it because it almost seems like, well, that sounds harsh and mean. And that pushes, but the reality is out of the love of the father saying, no, I'm giving you away. I'm giving you away. But out of my love for you. And we're going to talk more about, we're going to get into some doctrine stuff in a minute. This is more the applicable in the, 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 the goodness of the Lord. And in a moment, we're going to explain how. But we are freed from that future wrath. That when we surrender to the Lord, that wrath is removed. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? He's saying all of that that was supposed to be ours, that wrath that was supposed to be ours, all of that is now gone. We are saved from that wrath. He says, now, no, 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 no. Now you enjoy eternal life. Now you enjoy life with me. Now you enjoy the blessings of heaven and you enjoy the blessings of a future with me. Uh, one day I was listening to Dave Ramsey on the radio. And there's, you know, say what you will about Dave. He's got some really great ideas and he also has no compassion. So it's enjoyable to listen to because man, he shoots it straight with people that he doesn't know. And I want to be like, would you say that to their face? And he probably would. But one day I was listening and this lady called in and I was riding with my dad in a truck and it was, we laughed so hard because it was really funny. So he, he calls in, this lady calls in and she's like, hi, um, I've written out a will. And he says, okay, good job. But I'm leaving money to my daughter and her son. And I've changed my mind because I don't like how they're living and the choices that they're making. And so I've really thought through this and I don't want to leave them anything anymore. Can I do that? His response was, are you dead? And she said, no. And he goes, great. Then you can change your will. And I was like, wow, Dave, zero compassion. This lady is really struggling with the choices her daughter and her son-in-law are making. And like, I don't want to do this, but I know it's the right thing. And he's like, are you dead? Like, I mean, really, it was asked, I mean, he asked it with that same level of sarcasm, which I laughed at like a lot. And I was like, that was brilliant. But here's what I know about a will. I'm not a lawyer. Uh, it's so I don't know everything about wills, but I do know this, that a will does not go into effect until the person who has written the will dies, right? When that person dies, now all of a sudden, this will becomes a, a, a document in which things have to be carried out according to, right? So here's what's great. Jesus wrote his will for us. 
But here's what I know, that oftentimes when somebody has, has passed away and the will then opens up and all of a sudden somebody comes in and tries to manipulate their way through the will to receive all that they can out of the will, even if it doesn't line up exactly. And so Jesus writes his will, so to speak, right? Then he dies, which puts this will into effect, meaning that his death says, okay, I have now died for the sins of the world, right? So it's done and now that is carried forth. But in order to make sure that the will was carried out accordingly, Jesus says, but I'm going to raise from the dead and come back so that I oversee then the carry out of the will. And so rather than having somebody come in and try to manipulate or shift and change, Jesus says, no, I died for all. Therefore, all who put their faith in me can be justified and saved from the wrath that would be theirs. See, his resurrection is as important as his death. Through his resurrection, our salvation is made complete. He died so that the will would be enforced, but he arose from the dead and returned to heaven that he might enforce the will himself and distribute the inheritance. So we're saved by his life. Forgiven by his death, saved by his life. And he administers the inheritance. And then the next part is reconciliation with God. So we talked about peace with God. Now there's that that relational aspect where now we have peace with the Lord, right? Where we go, you know, there's a difference between uh, peace and reconciliation, right? How many of you have ever had a friend that you got in a really bad fight with and you had this huge fallout and you get to a place where there's peace between you, where you're not angry with each other any longer. You can, you can be in the same room. You're not going to go out of your way to, to, to talk with them. But then there's a difference from peace to reconciliation. When that relationship has been reconciled and fully mended, there's more than just peace now. There is this joy of, re- of relationship again. Verse 11 says, not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Which means brought back into fellowship with God. In terms also mentioned in, in, in 510, um, and in Romans 1, 18 through 32, Paul explained how, how men declared war on God, how they knew what was right and they, deliberately reject the Lord. He says, this, is, this isn't right. And so then he comes and he says, now through the Father, through justification, we are not only at peace with God, but we are now reconciled back into fellowship with the Father. So let's keep moving because I see what time it is. Number two in your notes. I'm just kidding. There's only two, just so you know. Uh, there's just two. Just thought about that. Like, that could have been. There's only seven. We'll get through it by lunch tomorrow, so it's good. No, number two, the basis of our justification. The basis of our justification. Let me read this. Um, actually, I'm not going to read it. I'm, we're going to go through and highlight it as we walk through, just to save us time. Romans 5, 12 through 21 Um, answers a few questions for us as it pertains to theologically understanding so much of what Jesus did and understanding why it was needed. And so one of the questions that has to be answered is 
How is it possible for God to save sinners in the person of Jesus Christ? That's a pretty big question, right? That's one of those where you go, okay, how, how is this even possible? And we understand that somehow Christ took our place on the cross, but how is such a substitution possible? Paul answered this question in this section in the verses, and um, pretty much the very heart of the letter. To understand these verses, there's a few general truths that have to be understood. So let's, let's first understand some of these general truths, and then we'll walk through the rest of it quickly. The first thing you need to understand and, rep, and, and recognize is the repetition of the word one. You're going to hear the word one a lot, uh, and it's used 11 times. The key idea here is it's, it's our identification with Adam and with Christ, okay? Second, note the repetition of the word reign, uh, which is used five times, because Paul saw two men, Adam and Christ, each of them reigning over their own kingdom, right? Over a kingdom. So you have, you have Adam and Christ. So we'll go through all this So here quickly. Uh, and then the phrase, much more, it's also used five times. And that, that is used by Paul to show this is what Adam had for us. And now look how much more Christ did for us, okay? So he's used that to show over and over and over. This is what it was. This was the sin. Now there's much more here of what Jesus has for the covering. So we're going to walk through this so quickly. In short, this section um, is a conscious of Adam and Christ, okay? So we have Adam, the first man, who was given dominion over uh, the old creation. He sinned, and he lost his kingdom. And so now, because of Adam's sin, all mankind is under the condemnation and death. And we're gonna, we'll go through this. Christ came as the king over a new creation. By his obedience on the cross, he brought in righteousness and justification. Christ not only undid all the damage that Adam's sin affected, but he accomplished much more by making us the very sons and daughters of God. Some of this much more, Paul has already explained in Romans 5, 1 through 11. So what we just talked through is included in some of that much more talk. This question gets asked sometimes. He says, was it fair for God to condemn the whole world just because of one man's disobedience? Is that fair? One person sins and now all of us are condemned because of one person's sin. The answer is, not only is it fair, but it was also wise and gracious. To begin with, if God tested each human being individually, the result would have been the same disobedience. But even more important, by condemning the human race through one man, Adam, God was then able to save the human race through one man, Jesus. And we are each racially united to Adam. We are the human race. And so that his deed affects us. Because you and I were lost in Adam, our racial head, we can be saved in Christ, the head of the new creation. God's plan was both gracious and wise. Final question must be answered before we jump into this. How do we know that we are united racially to Adam? So here we go, starting in, in Romans 5, 12 through 14. It says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. And he stops that thought for just a moment, and he starts again. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, okay? But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, 
So these people didn't have the law, yet sin is still reigning, okay? Because Adam was given a command. He disobeyed. Sin enters the world. Now, all of these people that have no law, the, the condemnation and death is still reigning. So here's what he says. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command because there was no law given for them to adhere to. Does that make sense? Are we following? There were certain, we, we talked already that, that through our conscious, uh, our our conscience, that we are aware of right and wrong. And Paul talked through that in, in, in earlier parts, just about how we're aware of good and bad, right? And so even in that, people are condemned. Okay, so, so death reigned from the time of Adam and Moses, even those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is the pattern of the one to come. The arguments run like this, right? We know that all men die, but death is the result of disobeying the law. There was no law from Adam to Moses, but men still died. A general result demands a general cause. What is that cause? Can only be one thing, the disobedience of Adam. When Adam sinned, he ultimately died, right? That brings death into the world. It was part of the curse, right? So now plowing the ground is difficult. And women, I'm sorry, but childbearing is difficult, right? So this is all a part of the curse, Okay. all of his descendants. If you read Genesis 5, you're going to find out that all of Adam's descendants then died. You go, wow, this is terrible. Right? Yes, sin is into the world. Now there's a lot of death. Uh, yet the law had not been given. There's no law, but death is still reigning. And in Romans 5, he says, for, for, for that all have sinned. What he means is that all have sinned in Adam's sin. So, so through the birth of being a human, you are born into sin. It is our inheritance, so to speak. And therefore, we receive the penalty of death as, as the sign of the sin reigning in this world. And I know this is a lot. Because if it was based on our own sin, if, it was based, if death as a penalty was based on our sin individually, then we would not see babies die. Do we understand that we agree that? That, that there are children that die that have done no wrong, right? And it's simply the curse of sin that is on us, that brings in death. And that shows that we're united to Adam in the sin that he brought in. So let's jump to verse 15. In verse 15, it says, but the gift is not like the trespass. Thank the Lord. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. Another one of those much more. Sin came in, death happens. That is the, the curse and the penalty of our sin. And it says, but oh, if, if so many have died because of that sin, how much greater, how much more are we then covered by the gift of grace? And the reality is at this point now, our physical bodies do and still die. But by the grace of Jesus, we live on eternally through our spirit and it is connected and united to the Lord in eternity because of the grace of the Father. I'm gonna keep moving quickly. Uh, it says, nor can the gift of God be compared with the results of one man's sins. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. I'm going I'm to skip ahead, and so just, just bear with me because I'm aware of the time. Uh, 
And I think I skipped too far ahead. There we go. I did. Verse 18, it says, Consequently, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in the condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, also through the disobedience, also through the obedience of the one man, the many were made righteous. And then again, down in verse 20, it says, The law was brought in so that trespass might increase, and this is it. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'm gonna invite the worship team. There in verse 20, and it says, it says, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. There's something you have to understand is that that phrase, it, it literally means it says that the law came in beside or the law crept in. What does it show us? It shows us this, that grace was not an added part of the plan. Grace was always the plan. The law was brought along the side just to make us aware of how sinful we are. The law was brought in to show us our, our, our failures. And it says, where, where, where sin increased, this is the greatest thing in the world, grace increased all the more. Here's what I know, is that you can't outrun God. You can't run so far from him that his grace can't find you. That it simply just takes a matter of stopping and turning back to the Father. He doesn't make you walk all the way back and undo all the wrongs that you did along the way. He will meet you where you are. You may go, oh, but God, you don't know what I mean. He goes, I do know what you've done. You say, oh God, but it's this and this and this and the list goes on. And he's like, I've, I've hurt so many people. And it's not just sins against, against you and sins that affect me, but Lord, it's sin that, that other people are paying for the price of my sin. They're, they're, they're feeling it. You know what? And he goes, I know I'm aware of everything you've done. I'm aware of the ripple effects and then those ripple effects. And then those, I, I'm, I'm, I see it all. There's nothing that you can do that, that I'm unaware of or that you can hide from me. He said, Adam and Eve tried it. They broke the one command. I said, don't eat from this tree. He says, if you do, there will surely be death. He says, that's, that's it. I'm asking you, you any tree, any, anything you want, just not this one. Just obey this one little command. And what happened? Boom. They, they sin. And all of a sudden what happens is they go and they try to hide from the Lord. And then they cover their nakedness because all of a sudden they realize, oh my word, we're uncovered. And so they go and try to hide from the Lord. And the Lord calls them out and he's like, where are you? And like, oh, we're hiding over here. We noticed that we were naked. And it's like, and how, and how did you know this? As if the Lord didn't know and he's aware. All that to say is this. There's nothing you can hide from the Lord. And there's nothing to be ashamed of before the Lord because his grace is sufficient. It's enough. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. How much more is the work of the cross and the sin in your life? Some of you in this room, you know that feeling. You go, yeah, listen, I've done a lot of stupid stuff. I've done a lot of really bad things. I've hurt a lot of people in my life. And yet I stand here today forgiven. And I stand in grace. 
because God's goodness. Through the work on the cross, we are justified. We're made righteous. What should be our wrath, what should be our punishment, the death that we should have is no longer ours because our truth changed when we stepped into grace. Man. And I don't have time to go into the realities of this, that, or the other, but the, the, the reality I do know is this, that I can speak on right now is this. Jesus gave his life to be the atonement for the sin of all people. We were born into sin. A lot of times we use the phrase original sin. Our flesh wants to fight it, and we'll talk more about that next week. This continual fight that we are in, man, we are we step and we walk in grace. We are freed from sin. Anyways, man, be here next week because it just keeps getting better. But I know this, that God's grace is sufficient. His grace is enough. Where your sin kept increasing, he kept going, as soon as you need it, as soon as you want it, I've got it. And it's more than this. And I just put it over here and it's like, it's gone. Like I said, it's not that he built a bridge. He removed the chasm altogether. It brings the two together. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.